I'm Stacy, and I'm Liz. This is Tent Talks. Welcome back to Tent Talk Tuesdays. I'm Liz. I'm Stacy. We're so glad to be chatting with you guys again. Today, we're going to start out with an individual check-in. So Stacy and I are going to talk about how we're feeling on individual levels. And I think that's a good segue to our topic today. We're going to delve more into the inner self. And so I've been thinking a lot about this feeling of neglect, feeling neglected. And I think that's something I've struggled with my whole life is self-neglect. And lately I feel like I've started doing a better job. So I feel like I'm starting to create a more nurturing inner environment. And that feels nice. It feels nice to know that some things just don't feel like they, they go as deep. Even when things happen on the outside, it just feels like it doesn't go as deep. So I, I feel some more like safety there, being kind to myself, knowing what my trigger points are, what my limits are. But I've noticed I still have a lot of sadness from feeling kind of a lack of support with just intimate relationships. I'm going through a second divorce. So that's probably some has something to do with it. You know, and COVID, right? Like we've all kind of maybe distance ourselves a little bit and maybe we don't know how to get back into having more intimate relationships with people. But I think it's something that a lot of people are feeling and noticing. Stacy, how are you feeling? Kind of similar. The topic today is about the inner self and my individual check-in is kind of about that. Every month, women cycle and always there's this time of the month where I feel like Nobody likes me and I don't have any friends. And that's ridiculous because I have friends and I was just talking to a girlfriend yesterday and I was like, oh yeah, those times when I do that, you hate that. And I'm sorry that I do that. And I know that that's really annoying because I'll be like sitting across from her whining about my lack of friendships. And she's like, um, I'm right here. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's ridiculous, but it's just this feeling that comes of this extreme like loneliness or wanting to reach out. And it manifests as me feeling like, oh, I must be bad at friends or I don't have any or it's very repetitive. It happens all the time and it's ridiculous, but yet it still happens. And that's what's frustrating. Yeah. Well, I noticed this a lot you know, working with parents and things too. And I mean, when your kid comes to you, for example, and is like, oh, I don't have any friends at school. Sometimes the knee jerk reaction is to point out the friends or to try to like get them to go to friends houses or be more friendly or invite friends over. And really, they're just trying to communicate a feeling in that connection itself, right? In Mm -hmm. that parent child connection or in that friendship connection that you're talking about. You just want to feel seen and heard. And then you know she's there. That's why you're opening up to her about those feelings, Mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think part of it might be on her part of not recognizing that and wanting to point out the fact that she's there instead of, oh, well, of course she values my friendship because she's opening up about these deep feelings that, wow, if I really pause for a minute and think about, I have those too. Like we all feel that way, you Mm -hmm. know? 
So I think it's hard for us to slow that down sometimes and just be in that space and not try to fix or point out or correct. Yeah, just sit and say, okay, I see that. Yep, that's... It's just yeah. ridiculous when it happens every month. I come grumpy. <laughs> Here I am again. You notice that. <laughs> yeah, the wave of... <laughs> Might be other things too, right? Mm-hmm. So collectively checking in. This is harder for us sometimes. I think it's going to be really hard. And I think that's why we're trying to point out the difference between the inner environment versus what's happening outside in the world. There's obviously just a lot going on that we might not even know the content of it. We just might feel feelings. We might go into a store and sense tension or sense an attitude or a vibe, you know. And I think for me, that's what I kind of wanted to talk about with the collective is just, is it out there or is it in me? Is it, you know, like, not knowing that difference sometimes. Yeah. Well, and the collective is made up of individuals. All individuals are part of a larger whole. So depending on your perspective, it's the same thing. There is no separation, right? Really? I mean, we could talk about the two, but they're always interwoven, integrated, playing on on us, right? Like, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So... But I think knowing that there are things out in our environment, out in the world, globally, collectively as a human race, you know, maybe even like we're both women, maybe things that are happening with women out in the world, you know, violence towards women, liberation of women, things like that, that we feel and we collectively either hurt because or or rejoice or celebrate, you know, different things like that. Yeah. So let's go into the self then. What what do we mean when we talk about the inner self? What the hell is that, Stacy? <laughs> I want to read out of a book, a guidebook. It's called The Archetype Guidebook. It's by Kim Kranz. And I was first introduced to her with, she had a tarot deck. It was called The Wild Unknown. And then she came out with this archetype deck. Explain to us what archetypes are. So archetypes are themes that are really relatable. And they cross every culture, every individual, like we can all have a story or relate to the ocean, or the sky, or the forest, or mother or father, even though we all have a different narrative about that. It's an aspect of life of being a human that we pull meaning from. I'll give you a really popular archetype these days is heroes, right? The, yeah. the like Marvel heroes, like these kids and men, they, that's their like archetype is this powerful rescuer, right? That mm-hmm. saves the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a very good one. <laughs> yeah, all my, all my nieces and nephews are all about every single hero show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the archetype that I want to read from this book is called The Self, And I'm just going to read a quick snippet. It says, when the self appears, it's a call to step back 
to witness consciousness, to observe yourself navigating the world. Ask yourself, am I the stew or am I the chef? In most situations, our ego draws us into the cauldron where we swirl, spin, and smolder in chaos. Yet the self is a graceful culinary dancer, watching, waiting, observing as the spectrum of ingredients become the flavor of our life. Look in the mirror for 30 seconds or more. Attempt to see the you behind the you. Mm-hmm. The you behind the you. So I think the self, we think we're in charge. And yet we're pulled in all of these directions that are really subconscious. It's like once we discover a pattern, it's like we shine a light in a dark room in a storage bin in our mind. It's like we illuminate something, we find a pattern, and then it changes the trajectory because we're no longer acting out of involuntary response. Now we know that that pattern exists and we can interact with it and choose differently because it's not happening to us anymore. We're now involved in the process. And I think as that card was talking, it's the difference between being the stew and the chef. Like you're actually the creator of your life, but you don't know that until you discover all of those aspects of yourself that keep playing out. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. We, I, I think Dr. Shafali, she's one of the psychologists I read a lot about. She talks about the ego, right? That's they refer to the ego. Yeah. Did, as, right? I think, yeah so she likes to refer it as like an eggshell and it serves a purpose. It serves for this like protection and nourishment for a certain amount of time, but the goal is to break free of it. Right. But that's kind of we're walking around with our eggshells all the time. I mean, that's what we think defines a person. We, you know, we see them, we see the image of them, we see their outer appearance, we see maybe a title, a status, maybe we see their home, wealth, success, a business they own, you know, power, whatever it is, right? That's what we label as who this person is. But is that the self? Yeah, it's not. It's not the self. It's not the self. So when I was talking to Liz about this episode, I was thinking about how interesting it is that both of our jobs are essentially helping people find their own patterns. So for me, I'm helping people find patterns in their body so that hopefully they can correct something before their back goes out or injuries reactivate or, you know, just things happen in the body that keep showing up again and again and again. And if you can find the pattern, then you can stop the cycle before it completes. And when Liz is doing that, she's doing that with emotional and mental patterns because we really do just loop. Instead of people being dependent on us, we really want to help empower people by teaching them about their own patterns. Yeah. And so a lot of the patterns I hear things that are really self-deprecating, right? Like, I am stupid. I am ugly. I am I don't have any friends. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any friends. I'm, you know, I'm unsuccessful. I failed. I'm a failure. And so we say those things because that's maybe what we think people see or even we see on the outside. But I think the damage we're doing to the internal self is very deep, right? Like we, we, if, if I say I am ugly, 
I, I'm not saying I'm unhappy with my current appearance. I'm telling myself that I'm ugly in, you know, the core. And those narratives really, I think it's stuck. And mm-hmm. we start this whole kind of self-attack, self-abuse cycle. Yeah, we really do create the story. But sometimes it was created for us by early traumas and mm-hmm. early conditioning. Everybody takes the journey at one point in their life, whether it's through a physical injury or, you know, a mental breakdown, emotional problem. And then they have to start asking themselves the questions like, why do I believe this? Is this true? What's going on in my body? How can I improve and stop the pain? And whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, we want to get out of pain. We want to get out of suffering. And how we do that is by taking ownership over our story and writing the story that we want to tell, but also being really compassionate and working with the pieces that we have. It's deconstructing the eggshell, not putting more layers on it. Yeah. (laughs) Which is what we're good at doing, right? We want to mask up and put more layers Mm -hmm. on and like, oh, if I do this and if I have this and if I put more makeup on, if I do this to my hair, if I lose weight, if I get this money, if I have this, you know, mm-hmm. perfect family even, right? Like, then I'll feel better about myself. Yeah, it goes really deep. So I'm going to share experiences with clients with working in the massage realm and give an example of what that looks like. Because I know that can be hard to fully conceptualize If a client comes in and they come in with a back injury and then the next month the same injury occurs, I know we have a pattern. So I'll be asking questions like, did anything stressful happen? Was there anything that physically that you were doing? Like what movement patterns? How do you spend your days? What's going on? There there has to be some kind of a trigger. And so I'll just ask repetitive questions. And the more that people can piece together, oh, I was overwhelmed, or I bent down to pick this up and in the bending, or a storm is coming. A lot of people have inflammation flare-ups, and it happens with weather patterns or moon cycles or changes in dietary, and it just flares something up. And so instead of going through the whole process and painful breakdown of having that injury fully manifest into like their back going out of alignment or, you know, something like that, there's tools that they can do. They can do some stretching, do some core strengthening while they're not in flare up, Epsom salt baths, topical analgesics, things like that to do. And maybe You won't fully avert the back going out, but you'll stop it eventually. And then next time you'll get a little better and and better and better and better until you've erased that pattern or at least minimized it to, oh, the first cue is coming. I know to take care of it. I'll manage it. And then I won't spiral. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I, I usually tell clients if they don't learn to slow down, their body will do it for them. Yes. Your body will will make you slow down some way or another. You'll get sick, you'll have an illness, you know, and and some people keep it going for a long time. I I'm sometimes really like shocked to see people still out there just white knuckling life and 
Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's flare ups, there's stuff there, but they kind of then choose to try to just ignore that too. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is really toxic and just more self-destruction. But yeah, I think even that process, like you were talking about of caring for the body, caring for, you know, the injured back gets us to tune to the self in some way, right? We slow down, maybe we're able to think more about what's going on because we have to do this self-care. It's like mandating it. Yeah. You know? Well, so in the narrative of somebody coming in with their own like emotional breakdown pattern, how do you help people come to their own pattern? How do you help them deconstruct that? Wow. Yeah, that's, I think, you know, talk therapy is really about the more they speak about it, the more their awareness increases, right? I mean, I kind of look at these clients and go, it's, it's a very similar predictable pattern with every person. You know, you're living in the ego, you're neglecting the self. It's a very predictable thing. And they're going, going, going until something breaks, right? Something collapses in either the physical system or the emotional system, or both. It's usually both. <laughs> really, not one or the other. It's usually both. And so they recognize, okay, this is unsustainable, or they're at rock bottom or something. But they they're the ones that, you know, it's kind of like the movie Inception, where like, if you tell somebody what it is, very few people are really going to internalize that, right? They have Mm -hmm. to, they have to journey to the center, right? Yeah. Like Kim says, the way cannot be known, but must be traveled. And this person has to travel there on their, you know, or not necessarily on their own with me maybe providing a safe environment or or other people like you, different healing environments, friends that are really safe. Like, how can they tear down these unhealthy patterns, family patterns of what gets the attention, right? I'm, I'm seen when I show up with this new car. I'm seen when I perform, I have this musical talent. I'm seen when I'm the sports athlete, you know? And so we develop these egoic layers to feel connection, but yet they really block it, right? Because it's this barrier between my real self and another person's core self. So... I think those are things that everyone kind of has to take a hard look at. Like, what am I doing to to avoid myself? To distract or to, yeah, waste time or to get attention that is building up this false image of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, ha- I was speaking to a friend um, last week, and she was going in to get her gallbladder removed, and her whole life... She just thought she had a nervous stomach and she thought she was just had anxiety. And she went to the doctor finally after it got bad enough and she was having a gallbladder attack. And then they did this X, I don't even know if it's an X-ray or what it is, how they detect what's going on internally with the gallbladder, but it was jam packed full of stones. Mm. And she's like young, she's in her thirties, but that's been happening for years and years and years since as long as she can remember. And she thought, I'm just really overreacting. I need to get this anxiety in In control. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably, again, there's no 
separation. So anxiety could have been, you know, trauma could have been where that all that bodily energy got stuck right in the gallbladder. And so it's hard to know really kind of, well, it's just this or it's just that, right? It's kind of like when scientists are like, is it nature versus nurture? Well, it's always both, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, to try to detangle that, it's always both. But yeah, I mean, to, to neglect the actual physical signs yeah, and dismiss it by this is just stress, of course, like that can get us into trouble. I think people do that all the time with body and with mind. Just take a Tylenol instead of like really looking at things. My dad, he had anxiety and he didn't know it and he thought it was stomach pain. And then it turns out as soon as he got some help with anxiety and got some medication, he doesn't have that stomach pain anymore. But it was just like, it was insanity that he was going through all that pain and it was anxiety management. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's real things going on. It's just, it could have been starting from the time we were an infant, right? Where maybe family traumas or anxieties were like held in our little bodies, you know, and they develop into some physical disease later in life that if you don't learn to manage, and Mm -hmm. if you don't learn how to deconstruct, yeah, it just keeps getting to a new breaking point. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, headache, most people, yeah, or like, just go pop a a leave or a Tylenol or something, you know, it's easy to treat a headache, this is what you do. And, you know, but it's, it's harder to go, wow, I wonder if, you know, tell me about the stress in your life. It's that's not as clear cut. And it takes time. And, and maybe we have to spend a little more emotional energy with that person. And so we do something really quick and easy, take a Tylenol. When the core, it might be stress, might be overwhelmed, might be trauma, might be, you know, just our emotional containers can only hold so much. And so it's like the underbelly of the volcano. And when too much pressure builds, boom, right? Like it comes out. And if if we don't know how to communicate or express it emotionally, the body does it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the next best steps are telling your own story. And whether that's to your friend or to your therapist or just to yourself journaling and writing the story that you want to be true about your life. Because when you start telling these narratives, it really changes like on a cellular level, how you're living your life. Yeah. And like what's going on internally to match that. Yeah. So when you change your story, you change your body. When you change your body, you change your story. It's a mere reflection. And so one of the things that you can do is access your own voice and decide how you want to tell your story. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know what their voice is, what it's saying, you know, and like you said, seek out these safe environments. One day I just felt, you know, compelled to go out into the mountains. Sometimes we just want to get out, be alone. And so I went and I walked around for five hours just having this conversation with myself. And I didn't know I had that much to say to myself. (laughs) I didn't know my voice would say what it did, would speak the things it did. And even just to audibly hear it, I think, was such a release and so empowering. 
a lot of people thought I was crazy who walked by and that was fine that day, you know, (laughs) but it's so liberating to connect with the self. It's almost like maybe we have to approach it at first as if they're two separate selves, right? The ego and maybe this neglected inner child, right? That we have been missing and not taking care of and not hearing. But the goal is to merge it into a whole being that like, I am me. I don't, I don't walk around with the masks anymore, you know, and I'm not saying I don't, but that's the goal, right? Is that I am just this congruent being. Yeah, you've reclaimed all those parts of yourself. Yeah. And you've sewn it together and you're presenting it. Yeah, authentically. (laughs) (laughs) The authentic self, right? And so... Yeah, I love maybe how that moved from kind of the neglected self to the goal, right, of being more authentic. And we don't feel as neglected. We might be neglected, like, by another person or by an institution or by our gender, but we won't feel that same inner neglect if we're authentic, right? Well, and just like how I was saying before with my check-in is – this feeling of loneliness, when we abandon the self, it doesn't matter how many friends we have or how many close relationships we have. It We're longing for ourselves. We're longing to get to know ourselves. And when I don't take that time to check in with myself and to know myself, yeah. then that loneliness I'm feeling is, is from myself to myself. Yeah. I'm longing to connect with me. And how I do that is connecting to my true self, not those stories, those flashy parts, those things that I think will be impressive, but the real true me, those tender parts that I still am working to gather and heal and integrate into this this one space of, of me. Yeah, I'm going to read another Kim Kim quote because she puts this really beautifully. She said, You do not have to go the whole way on your own. You only have to take the first step. It will meet you along the way, and you will recognize each other like old friends. What is it, you ask? It is the center of the labyrinth, which some may call the self, the spirit, the soul, the great mystery, the abyss. It responds to many names, It is an unknown force that is always, in all ways, reaching out to us. When we connect to it through creative practice or any other means, it welcomes us onto its back. It carries us through the labyrinth of life like a chariot galloping towards the light. We may think we know what we want, what we need, and where we are going, but the chariot carries us somewhere new. This journey is the essence of the creative life. But just how she talked about ourselves, like we think it's a scary, lonely process, but there is something familiar and something warm and loving inside of us that will welcome us into that journey and carry us lovingly. And taking the first step is like just... I love how Glennon Doyle says, just doing the next right thing. You know, when you when you pause in a moment, you pause in a difficult situation and you drop a little bit and you let kind of your intuition just settle. Mm-hmm. You'll know, we'll know. Yeah. Like what, what the next 
move should be for us. We won't know what we're supposed to do for the next 10 years. We're just going to know in that moment. Yeah. Take the elevator ride down from your busy mind and into your heart and into your body and connecting in that space. You'll know the right next step. Yeah. We'll leave that with you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. See you next Tuesday.